Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hello everyone and welcome to today's show. Today we're going to talk about sugar in our children's diet. We all have heard a lot about the the dangers of sugar um, consumption in our children with issues such as physical, metabolic, behavior, learning problems plaguing our children. In addition to that, you know, we've been we've seen as parents the the reaction of hyperactivity and tantrums and and other digestive issues that can come up as a result of um, an increased consumption of sugar in our children's diet. And to discuss that, I there's no one better to talk about it than Dr. Michael Goran. He has just recently released a book. It's called The Sugar Proof. Dr. Goran is the program director for diabetes and obesity, Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, and the Sabin Research Institute professor of pediatrics. Um, he has had so many years of experience um, researching the connection between sugar and our children. So let's just get into it. Hello, welcome, Dr. Goran. It's so nice to have you on the show today. Yeah, what a great pleasure to be here. Thanks thanks for having me on and bringing this topic up. Yeah, it's so important, especially, um, you know, being in, in the region that I am based in, it's just so relevant and so pertinent for families and practitioners alike to just get that kind of information that you have in your book and the research that you've been doing for so many years. So, um, you know, it's it's really relevant to all of us. I wanted to start off by just, you know, setting the stage. How much sugar are our children actually consuming? I think it varies tremendously in different different parts of the population, different parts of the world. Um, and also, we're, we're, we're just really interested in added sugars mostly. We're really, you know, if you look at total sugars, that will include sugars from dairy and sugars from whole, whole fruits. Uh, but if you look at what we call added sugars or free sugars, you know, it's probably on average about twofold higher than the health recommendations, at least. Um, so a lot higher than we would recommend for optimal health. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty scary to hear, right? When our kids are just constantly surrounded by foods and things that, that have these added sugars that you talk about that are almost hidden like we don't really how how often will we turn around and look at new nutrient labels we should be looking at that and we should be starting to train parents um into doing that more but can you talk a little bit more about where a lot of these hidden sugars are coming out sure yeah there's a complete mismatch between what consumers are seeing at the grocery stores and what is recommended for health so about in the U.S. at least, and I'm sure this is similar uh, globally, 70% of processed foods contain some type of added sugar, of which there are over 200 names. And 80% of snacks or other food items specifically marketed to children, 80% of those have some type of added sugar. 
so in terms of the hidden sugar, unexpected places, you know, everyday staples like peanut butter, tomato sauce, ketchup, even healthy sounding foods like granola bars or yogurts, salad dressing, frozen foods, frozen pizzas, those typically contain a lot of added sugars, more than you would probably expect. Yeah. And so what kind of um, obvious names should parents really be looking at when they're looking at, at, at food labels, right? Um, there are some that are the added sugars they talk about, right? Some of them when they label that. But beyond that, what should they be looking for? Yeah, so you really got to look at the ingredient list. Um, in the U.S., at least, added sugars are differentiated on the nutrition label. So there's the nutrition label and there's the ingredient list. Um, and then there's the advertising, uh, front of label advertising. But uh, really, you got to look at the ingredient list these days. It's the small print. Um, sugar, like I said, could be any one of 200 different names. Um, we list them all, or not all of them, but most of them in the book, so you can help recognize them. Anything ending in OSE, sucrose, glucose, fructose, uh, is a sugar. But in the food industry has uh, done a good job at inventing uh, fancy, healthy sounding names for sugar, like uh, organic brown rice syrup. It's organic, it's brown, it's rice. Uh, so it sounds good, but it's really, it's a syrup. It's just the sugars that you get if you boil down rice, just like you'd get from corn or corn syrup or cane syrup, which is ordinary sugar. So it's basically just wherever you derive from, whether that's cane, sugar cane or sugar beets or an apple or rice or corn, it's still at the end of the day, sugar. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because since reading your book, I've been looking more at, you know, the the box fruit and, and food and stuff that we bring into our house or even just at the grocery store when you're trying to decide what to get. Um, and so I do recommend a lot of families to um, eat gluten-free if they have certain conditions. And, and the box foods that we have that are gluten-free, if you ever look at their, um, you know, ingredient label, they're just full of sugars as well, right? So on, on the label, it looks like you're eating something gluten-free. It has to be healthy. It has to be good for you. It's a great alternative for parents to offer their kids. But in reality, when you're like looking back and really investigating what's in there, um, it's really not what you would recommend for your children, right? Yeah, I mean, it could even say sugar-free and have a sweetener in there. We can talk about sweeteners too. Uh, so I was just looking at a advertisement this morning for a sugar-free juice, um, but it had uh, sucralose, stevia, ASK, different types of alternative sweeteners that provide sweetness for the calories and those themselves can uh, condition the body to like sweetness and want more sugar. Yeah. Uh, so those, those uh, may, not, may not have the calories, but they still can, um, contribute problems as well. Yeah. I mean, let's just get into that a little bit, right? Um, you talk about these sweeteners and, and things that are not like necessarily that we consider that might do us a lot of harm. How is that affecting us and especially our children, right? Well, yeah, the, sweeteners are like a fool's gold. They, they sound good sweetness without the calories. Um, 
but the problem is they contribute other problems. So many of them, they are, sweeteners act differently. They're all a variety of different chemicals that are processed differently by the body. Many of them provide sweetness because they activate sweet taste receptors powerfully in the mouth, uh, but then they aren't absorbed, so they can affect the gut. Um, so they, you can, they can cause digestive issues or gut microbiome issues. Also, we're learning that these sweet taste receptors that exist in the mouth also exist throughout the body. So um, if any of those chemicals do get through digestion, they will activate receptors in the gut and beyond. But also they, they just, as I mentioned, they, they condition the body to like sweetness. So really the issue with sugar uh, is just as much about sweetness as it is about sugar. And what studies show is that in individuals, including children who habitually consume uh, low calorie sweeteners aren't thinner, they aren't necessarily healthier and they're not eating less. In fact, they're eating more. And that's because the body gets tricked into thinking that, that energy is coming in when it's not. So if the body thinks there's energy coming in, it will extract energy from the blood, but it was never there to begin with. And so then you get hungry quicker and seek food and seek more sweetness. So um, they really are introducing multiple other problems and we don't recommend them. No, no health agency recommends them for children because we, we just don't know the long-term effects of these compounds on development. And we'd rather just recommend whole foods proper foods, actual foods, and that's what we do in Sugarproof, all of the recipes that we have in, in uh, Sugarproof sweetened with whole foods like dates or bananas or apples in the actual recipe. Or if you're using real sugar, just use less of it in a recipe. You can easily cut the sugar in a recipe by, by 25%, 30%, maybe even 50%. Yeah, it's really about almost training your, your taste buds, right, um, to acclimatize to eating less sugar. And it's something that our kids have become, like you said, there's sugar in everything. So their taste receptors are almost now trained to have sugar in everything, whether it's chicken nuggets or not, right? Absolutely. Um, and, 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 yeah, go for it. And the, and, and the, you know, the problem is what's surprising uh, is that kids, babies actually are born with this preference for sweetness. Yeah. And th th this, is, this is supposed to be protective because they're supposed to help them to like breast milk, which is sweet, and to seek out good calories um, and avoid toxic foods from the forest floor. Uh, but it's backfiring in today's food environment where, like I said, 80% of kids' foods have added sugars. So, and the more they get access to these uh, sweetened foods, the more you further heighten that preference for sweetness. So food companies know this and they're preying on this built-in preference for sweetness. Yeah. And it's almost um, just causing this whole, um, I, I like to say like this whole problem of picky eating or selective eating in our children, right? It's all that cycles is being perpetuated with the more that they're wanting sweet food, they're, they're, that's what they want all the time. And they're moving away from eating whole foods, like you said, or just, you know, even fruits are not sweet enough for a lot of children anymore. Um, and so, yeah. And you, and you can, you can reverse that. And that's, that's, 
the benefit of the seven day no added sugar challenge that we have in sugar proof is to basically reset that that built-in preference when you can you can dampen it down but you have to go off sugar for a while that's not to say that your kids can never have sugar again uh, because that's that wouldn't work wouldn't work in my house probably wouldn't work it's just not sustainable but it is a action plan that can reset that sugar preference back down uh, and 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 what we what we see there when kids do that is they suddenly are able to have a whole new taste palette they're able to actually appreciate taste because because the sweet taste receptor is so powerful if you eat a blueberry muffin does, you know from a coffee shop but does it actually taste of blueberries no because it's the added sugar in there you know basically overwhelm all the other tastes in there so in sugar proof we have a sugar proof no added sugar blueberry muffin that actually tastes of blueberries and after you do this seven day no added sugar challenge kids are actually more open and more appreciative of novel tastes yeah and it's interesting um that it's something that really sprang out to me was it just seven days right we we think would, would a week even be enough to kind of get our kids off of um sugar but you know through that challenge it's possible and so many families have done that yeah uh, and uh, you know i'm not the first few days might be rough um for everybody and that's because sugar and sweetness has these addictive properties and uh, you, you know, you, you, your body may backfire and crave it and kids may get angry and upset, but that actually only lasts a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And then the benefits are then apparent by three or four days and even metabolic benefits under the skin. I mean, as a parent, you, you'll see and, and your, your kids benefit, but you don't see the end of the skin benefits. Um, but those are apparent even as soon as seven days. Yeah, it's, it's, that's amazing. And just kind of segueing our way in through that is what is sugar actually causing to our kids under their skin, like you said? What is it doing to them? Well, like we talk about in sugar proof, um, excess sugar uh, can affect kids' bodies from head to toe. And the reason we're most concerned about kids is because some of those effects can be magnified in children because their bodies are still developing. And that could be effects on learning, memory, academic performance, obvious things like tooth decay, uh, liver disease, rat wasn't even a disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease wasn't even a disease. And maybe you're seeing this in your clinic too in your part of the world, but this this is a new disease. Most liver disease used to be caused by alcohol. Yeah. Now the majority of liver disease is caused by non-alcohol. And by non-alcohol, we mean sugar and in particular fructose. Uh, and that's to do with the way fructose as a sugar is metabolized in the liver. And then that then leads to risk for heart disease because that process produces fats and lipids that build up in the blood, uh, inflammatory conditions because that process is pro-inflammatory. So really it's multiple effects throughout the body and kids being more vulnerable to those effects because of development. 
Yeah. And also like their body size is just so small comparative to like you had said, like twofold more than what the what the dietary limits are. It's what they're consuming on a daily basis. So it's just it's going to impact their their metabolism and something that you refer to in the book as well. And I kind of wanted you to get into that a little bit, how it's really affecting that in in a in a child day to day in their behavior, in the way that they function at school or even their memory. Yeah, I think all those things are impacted and we've seen major turnaround benefits from uh, avoiding added sugars even just for a couple of days. Um, so kids, for example, who go on a sugar-proof no added sugar plan um, seem to be more, more focused less tired in the morning. Um, it's all about maintaining blood glucose levels. And in the book, we talk about the sugar roller coaster, which starts at breakfast, usually with a high sugar breakfast. And what's happening in kids is because they're very efficient at, um, at metabolism, they are able to extract that sugar from the blood very quickly. And when that happens, they actually overcompensate and go hypoglycemic, low blood glucose. Most parents will be familiar with these rushes and crashes um, of what happens when there's a sugar overload at a birthday party or breakfast. They might get hyper and very active and bounce off the walls. And then an hour later, maybe they're rolling around on the floor, crying and hungry and wanting more. Uh, and that's because their sugar levels in the blood have dramatically fallen from this big spike and get hypoglycemic and then they get hungry and angry and want to, to eat more. So it's all about trying to maintain that blood glucose level stable. And in Sugar Proof, we talk about breakfast being, for kids especially, a moment to start the day off with a stable blood glucose level. Yeah, and it's it's... Very important, right? Because they've almost been for kids that are sleeping eight to, to 12 hours at, you know, between eight to 12 hours, it's, they've been fasting for that long, right? They haven't been eating anything. And so when they wake up in the morning, the first meal that they kind of gravitate towards is something that's super high sugar. How is that going to sustain them for a day of learning, for example, when they go to school? It doesn't. It's it's short lived, unfortunately, and that's 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 the issue. Um, but that's a good point about kids sleeping for twelve hours, so they're only you know they're they're waking up in this almost fasted state. Um, and I think that the tendency is that they need a, you know, a jolt of energy to get them going. Yeah. Um, but that 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 just that just doesn't work. Um, yeah. That, that short lived and backfires very quickly. So in Sugar Proof, we talk about very simple strategies that you can do to hack or fix breakfast in the morning, depending on what your family preferences are. If I don't know um, if you're eating breakfast cereal, which is fairly common throughout the world, tends to be high in sugar. Doesn't mean you can't eat breakfast cereal, just look for, for brands that have less than three grams of added sugar per serving and um, serve it with fruit or berries or a source of fiber like flax seeds or chia. Have your kids make their own breakfast bowl, starting off with a base of a low sugar cereal and then you can improve the nutrient quality of breakfast. 
Same is true for things like pancakes or toast, which typically call for jam or syrup. I mean, it's okay. I'm not saying you can never have pancakes with syrup again, but there's other ways to enjoy toast or pancakes. Yeah. And in the thing is that once, like you said, within seven days, if you're on those, those diets, you can really see your, your child's behavior and just overall functioning turnaround. And so it's such a gratifying process. It might be hard the first few days, but it's gratifying to see how they, how quickly they, they turn around and, and they show you um, the improvements in, in behavior. One of the things that um, I, I've been working on in my practice but it's also becoming more prevalent are um, neurodevelopmental problems, right? And so how is sugar tied in? So what kind of research are you seeing in say kids with ADHD or ODD, et cetera? Well, we haven't done research specifically on that topic ourselves. And there's not a lot of research that has been done. We review as much of it as we can in sugar proof. Uh, we don't yet have evidence that sugar causes ADHD or autism, but certainly studies suggest that reducing sugar can improve the symptoms um, and, and, and see the benefits. Um, we, we are doing research on uh, early diet and how that affects brain development. And again, just again, because this is specific to infants, 90% of brain development happens before five years of age. So what nutrients are coming in during this period is vitally important for brain development. And we're actually doing research to look to identify beneficial sugars in, in breast milk because breast milk is a very, um, very complex uh, mixture of hundreds or even thousands of different uh, nutrients. And there's a whole range of complex sugars in breast milk beyond lactose, which is the main sugar. And we have new research coming out. It's quite exciting showing some of those sugars actually uh, are beneficial for building the brain, for brain development. Yeah, I think that'd be interesting to kind of get into once that comes out, because it kind of gives us more of, of an insight of what to avoid and what to allow in our diets right um earlier on like you said like the first five years was so imperative um and and there were recommendations of you know not having any sugar added till one years old and i and i understand that i think they're amending that now um what would your recommendations be for parents to um for, for sugar or to, or the introduction of it to babies well, yeah, in sugar proof, our recommendation is zero added sugars between the ages of birth and two years of age. Um, that's what we recommended. And in fact, the new dietary guidelines that were just released in January of this year by the uh, USDA for the first time have this exact same recommendation. So that now is pretty well accepted. Uh, so at, and we're talking about added sugars. That yeah. doesn't mean you can't. You know, mash up an apple um, and, and give it to an infant. We're talking about added sugar. But I would include in that apple juice or juices because technically it's not an added sugar, It's but it's the sugars liberated from the apple. Um, so try and keep the apple whole as, you, as much as you can. Uh, 
So zero added sugars between zero and two years of age and then increasing afterwards based on age and therefore size of the body from about three or four teaspoons of added sugar per day up to about uh, eight to 10 in a teenager. Yeah, which if you think about it, isn't a lot, right? Um, if you start collecting and counting all of the, the teaspoons of sugar in say tomato sauce or you know pizza base and other things like that that are in our everyday food toast a piece of toast has has sugar in it as well now right it's just it, it's so additive yeah most most bread most processed breads would have some added sugar maybe maybe a teaspoon per slice or something like that uh, but there's plenty of brands of, of bread or tomato sauce as you mentioned that don't have any added sugars or you can make your own tomato sauce very easily. So that's, you know, it does add up and these hidden sources of sugar can easily be taken out without any uh, notice. Nobody will notice um, if you come home with tomato sauce without added sugars or make your own. It probably tastes better actually, because a lot of times the, the reason that sugar is added is to mask the taste of all the other preservatives and additives. Um, that's what that's often in processed foods why sugar is added. Uh, so you can make your own and we have a lot of recipes for that kind of stuff in sugar proof, for example, making a very simple tomato sauce or for making a very simple granola bar. Uh, and you can get the kids involved too with that process, which is, is a win-win because then they are more likely to be invested in eating it. Yeah, and then there's that educational aspect. At least I see that with my son. If he's more, if he's in there and if he's, you know, making it and you're telling him what kind of ingredients they are and what they're doing, eventually it's going to become a part of their, their learning and then their habits, right? They're going to gravitate towards those kinds of foods more. So if Absolutely. Can, how, how old is your son? He's four now. So it's, you know, he helps out in the kitchen every now and then. But it's just about teaching him that awareness of what's in your food and, and what it's doing to, to their bodies. Yeah, and you can start that conversation early. The conversation is going to look a little different depending on age. Um, but the earlier you can get your kids involved, even with simple things like um, picking stuff out at the grocery store or helping out in the kitchen with mixing stuff. Yeah, it might make a bit more of a mess and it might take a bit more time, but I think the benefits will, will outweigh those disadvantages easily. Yeah. You know, one thing you referred to was, um, you know, in natural sweeteners or, or it's offering fruit to children instead. This is one thing that always kind of sticks out for me. How much fruit is okay for children to eat? Yeah, I mean, there's there's no there's no real upper limit on that. Um, my, our only guideline um, is not a lot all at once, uh, because when you eat a lot of fruit all at once, that the, the negative effects of the fructose coming from the fruit is to do with the the amount and the the rate at which it's released, and that's why even fruit juice is not recommended because the fructose is very concentrated. So. Um, but if you add, let's say, three apples all at once, you'd get the same effect as drinking a glass of apple juice. But nobody's eating three apples all at once. Uh, maybe you eat maybe a big bowl of 
chopped fruit all at once is not a good idea. But, you know, several servings spread throughout the day is, is not an issue. And also, you know, try to kind of move towards more of the fruits that are higher in fiber and lower in sugar. So like berries are always good. Stone fruit is good. Um, but really multiple servings throughout the day is not, a, not, not any issue because there's, there's so many benefits. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And so, you know, th there are some kinds of sugars that are more damaging to kids than others, right? So we did talk about um, these hidden sugars, but can you go into a little bit more detail about what parents should definitely be trying to avoid with their children? Yeah, well, added sugars in particular, uh, juices and sodas, so, so liquid sugar is particularly problematic because and we're talking here about any kind of juice, even 100% naturally squeezed juice, energy drinks, which are big in the U.S., um, soda, you know, blended drinks, okay for a treat once in a while, but it's the liquid sugar that really is very damaging because we're just, our bodies just weren't, and kids' bodies in particular, weren't designed to handle all that sugar coming in all at once multiple times per day it just leads to a to kind of an overwhelming um of, of, of the normal metabolic responses and ending up being uh, the big concern here is the fructose being taken up by the liver uh, being converted to fat in the liver and then causing liver problems and uh, cardiovascular problems and diabetes related problems yeah, for sure. And I just kind of wanted to take a step back. We did talk about, you know, the the sugars in, um, in, in breast milk, but what's the effect of sugar consumption when moms are pregnant? So even taking a step back beyond like when the baby is born, uh, you said that they're almost born addicted to sugar. Is that true? Uh, the bo born with a built-in preference um, for or a built-in craving, and there's natural craving for sweetness. Um, and yeah, that that can be amplified even with exposure in pregnancy. Uh, limited studies in humans, but multiple studies in different animal models showing that this built-in preference can be amplified based on sugar exposure in utero. And so we do know that sugar does have cause does cause developmental um, origins. So ex excess sugar during pregnancy can lead to risk of overweight at birth, for example. Same is true for sweeteners, and the evidence there is pretty pretty clear that uh, sweetener consumption. So if you are trying to cut down on sugar during pregnancy, don't re you know replacing it with sweeteners is not the solution because that also will cause problem. It's better just to um, reduce the amount or dilute the amount. So if you're, you know, I'm not here to tell moms what they can and can't eat during pregnancy because they have very strong cravings. But if juice is your what you're craving, then dilute it a little bit. You know, see how much you can dilute it and still get the beneficial um, effects. So we're big on dilution because you still get the flavor and you still get the benefits. You've just kind of dampened down the sugar and dampened down the sweetness. And we use that technique uh, at all stages of the life course. So if your 
kids are drinking juice every day, then normal commercial juices are so sweet. And you can save money this way too. Yeah. You know, a bottle of juice can last twice as long yeah. and you can gradually just dilute it. Yeah, that's true. And then, you know, so once babies are born and, you know, for those moms who either choose not to breastfeed or have um, trouble with, with breastfeeding and so their alternative is formula, you know, how heavy is formula on sugar or added sugars? Yeah, kind of a controversial topic, um, but um, I, I will say, and again, in the U.S., there's plenty of formula available that's not lactose-based. So lactose is the sugar in breast milk. Mm -hmm. Lactose is made of glucose and galactose joined together. Uh, that's that's what's in in breast milk. Um, some formulas, though, some formula companies are making formula that is uh, does not is not based on lactose. Um, so, for example, uh, using uh, things like corn syrup solids, which is an all glucose based sweetener. Uh, we're doing research on this to see what impact that might have, um, but it's it's problematic for two reasons. One, it's it's eliminated the galactose, uh, which is important for baby development and possibly brain development. And it's high in glucose, so the glucose only sweetener, which is a very high glycemic index. So you'll get more rapid spikes in glucose and more rapid falls. So we're trying to document that. So, you know, talk, talk with your uh, pediatrician or your care provider, or your lactose or your lactation consultant about different formula options because a formula is important. Many women are unable to breastfeed, can't breastfeed, but you know, look carefully because the, what you feed your baby in this period is may have long lasting um, effects. So. Yeah. yeah, and that's pretty scary, right? Because it's not something that kids are on for short periods of time, um, you know, a, a whole year, especially the first year, it's a long time for them to be on those sugars, right? And so, like you said, the effect can be quite accumulative. Over time. Well, also, oftentimes those products kind of have transition products. So, and the, you know, formula companies are marketing these products. So you may start off on formula and then go to some kind of transitional milk product that's high in um, added sugars as well. So it's kind of almost like a gateway uh, to to lifelong consumption. Yeah. Are there any alternatives right now at this point for, for parents to think of who can't breastfeed? So what would, what should they consider just reducing the amount of sugar or get like a better quality breast milk um, formula or what should they do? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, in the U S there's dozens and dozens of different formula to choose from. So you have to you know, choose wisely. Mm -hmm. um, I would I would avoid any with corn syrup solids that, you know, which are done to root because the belief is there's lactose intolerance. That's, that's the issue. Um, I don't really, I'm not really convinced that there is lactose intolerance, but there may be, you know, allergies to cow milk, which, which a lot of these are derived from. Um, so it, it really becomes a personal choice that you have to talk with your pediatrician or your lactation consultant about, but 
know, choose carefully and look at the ingredients, just like you would look at the ingredient list on a, a yogurt or a, or, or a loaf of bread, look at the ingredient list also for infant formula. Many are being supplemented with different um, things like uh, omega-3s or milk oligosaccharide, like I mentioned earlier, 2-FL, which is exclusive to mother's milk, which is thought to enhance brain development. Yeah, there, There's a lot we still need to learn about um, optimal infant formulas. Yeah, well, that's, um, you know, that, that's a lot of information. And I think you've given um, all of the listeners a lot to think about and really great tips of just how to like transition. And I would really, really recommend everybody to pick up your book, The Sugar Proof. Um, you know, you've got a great seven day um, program, but then also a 28 day program that's more gradual for, for families to reduce their, their sugar load, right? Um, and so I would highly recommend everybody to get that and to get started on that. Um, before we go, can you tell the listeners where they can get in touch with you or where they can get more information? Sure, yeah. So we're on social media on Instagram and Facebook. The handle is at sugarproofkids. Our website is sugarproofkids.com where we uh, have posting information, new recipes. You can sign up for our newsletter and get recipes. We're developing multiple new recipes every month. You'll be the first to uh, receive them. And yeah, the book is available anywhere books are sold, either in person or online bookstores. Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much for such a great show today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Mamina, to, for, for having me on and for all you're doing to spread good news and good information about healthy eating and um, what we can do. I mean, even, you know, don't be daunted by, by some of these things. Even small, small changes can go a long way. And, you know, start by going looking in your pantry at the tomato sauce or the ketchup or the peanut butters, look for those hidden sources and even small, small changes can go a long way. And you'll probably notice some of those. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And um, my pleasure. Yes, it's great. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcast. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find the show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive weekly updates. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.